0: this is energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future proof against social risk and lead the world into the energy future i'm tisha schuler your host and the principal of adamantine energy On today's show, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Ann Carto, who is Engagement Manager at Teen Energy with me, and Michael Tanner, who is the Research Team Lead with Sandstone Capital Group. Both of these uh, two millennial leaders have spent their career in the oil and gas industry. And when I talked with them, it was originally recorded as a webinar. So you'll hear we had significant engagement from our audience. Uh, This episode is entitled, Our Secret Weapon, Retaining and Empowering Our Millennial Workforce. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Good morning, and welcome to our webinar, One Eye to the Future. I'm your host, Tisha Shuler, and today we're going to be talking about our secret weapon, Retaining and Empowering Our Millennial Workforce. And I'm uh, really happy to have you here today. Uh, before we jump in, I want to acknowledge that there is a lot of pain and suffering happening out in the world the last couple weeks and today regarding the protests for racial injustice and equality. And I want to honor that work that's going on and the pain and suffering underway. And today, we're going to have a largely optimistic conversation um, because we are looking with one eye to the future. So here at Adamantine Energy, we're trying to cover the topics that are most on our clients' minds with regards to social disruption and social risk. And we think of social risk as a combined community, policy, political risk that can affect your company's ability to build, operate projects and conduct operations. Um, So, today we'll be talking about a topic I'm obsessed with, um, the millennial workforce and the millennial public. Um, You are welcome to join us in the conversation today with your questions, and you can also vote other questions up and down, and there'll be a survey at the end to give us your feedback on what you're hearing uh, from us today. So with that, let me jump in and introduce our two panelists. are both people who I have the great pleasure to work with uh, almost every day. And the first is Anne Cartel, who is the engagement manager with us at Adamantine Energy. And I had the pleasure of meeting Ann, but do not have the distinction of actually hiring her, which I wish I had, although I did have the good sense to hire her uh, again at Adamantine. Um, but her work for us focuses on mitigating social risk around energy and infrastructure projects using trends and research to inform the strategic planning um, and stakeholder outreach that we help companies with as part of their ESG, their Environmental, Social, and govern- Governance Work and Reporting. Uh, before that, she was a community outreach manager at COGA, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, and before that, she worked at both the Ohio Oil and Gas Association and Energy in Depth. My other guest today is Michael Tanner, and Michael Tanner is the research team lead at Sandstone Capital Group. We have the good fortune of working with him here at Adamantine, where he leads a lot of our data analytics and research efforts. Prior to his work with Sandstone, Michael worked for an energy technology startup doing energy modeling. He's also a proud graduate from the Colorado School of Mines and has degrees in both economics and petroleum engineering. So welcome to both uh, Michael and Anne, and I wanna tell you about our charity of choice today. Uh, One of the ways Adam and team can thank our guests is to make a donation. And today we've made our donation to Oilfield Helping Hands, and I hope you will join us in that. And tell us a little bit about Oilfield Helping Hands.
1: Sure, thanks Tisha, and thanks so much for having me. It's um, interesting to be on this side of the work, so I truly appreciate it. Um, Oilfield Helping Hands has chapters across the country. I'm involved in the Rocky Mountain chapter um, and we hold fundraisers and raise money for oilfield families in financial crisis. Um, So most of the year that involves, you know, um, medical bills piling up, um, unexpected medical emergencies, um, supporting families that have lost a loved one that's the sole breadwinner in an oilfield family. Um, And we're able to um, Uh, serve a lot of recipients through the year and it's been a very interesting time this year because we are helping families affected by COVID-19 and so it's a really important time to donate um, and help us here. Um, You can donate on our website and you can choose the Rocky Mountain chapter Um, and we're also always seeking sponsors and donations and we have an upcoming play shoot that you can participate in if you're in um, Colorado so an important time for an important cause and um, we hope you'll support oilfield families.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Anne, and and thanks to our audience uh, who's been very generous in reaching out to our our charities that we're supporting. So um, I'm going to direct my first question um, to Michael, but before I do that, I want to tell you that I had the pleasure of being a guest on Michael's podcast, which is the 360 Closing Bell Podcast. So um, we love Michael so much that Adam and Teen Energy is a sponsor of that. So I'll give you a little shout shout out here on that today. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Michael also helps us. uh, If you follow my both true weekly writing, you know that I am absolutely enamored with uh, the millennial generation and the millennial workforce. And so just to level set here, Millennials are, are now the generation that's in their economic and family, uh, civic and political prime. Uh, this generation is, is uh, about thirty up to 39 years old. Um, and w- sometimes we'll talk about generation Z, which is the generation after the millennial generation that's coming out of college. So we're so interested in how relevant this generation is to our work as the oil and gas industry, but also our public that we're interacting with that within about a month, Adam and Tina's gonna be putting out a research report on that that both Michael and Anne have been integral to. And as part of preparing for this conversation today, we've also done some informal surveys of millennial uh, oil and gas workers. So you'll hear us talking about that. Um, Okay, with that, Intro. Uh, Michael, tell me from your experience as a millennial, as a a researcher and data analyst and someone who's spent uh, your career so far in the oil and gas industry, what do you think the unique strengths are that millennial employees bring to the oil and gas industry? And in this time of massive disruption, why do you think it matters?
2: I Well, first off, I appreciate you having me on here, both you and Ann. I'm very excited to, to be on here. And much like Anne sentiment, it's just it's, it being on this side. So, again, um, excited for this. Um, I think it's really interesting. This is an interesting time, I think, and a really cool time, I think, to be a millennial because I think when you look at the energy industry and the oil and gas business as a whole, I think there are certain parts of it that are extremely technologically advanced. And I think there are other parts that are really not. And I think one of the big strengths that millennials bring is, well, the first generation who's sort of grown up and has been privy to a lot of the technology that is sort of integrating into a lot of these other industries. Um, And so I think as the energy and specifically as the oil and gas business moves forward, specifically post-COVID. COVID-19. I think technology is a huge, huge thing that people need to specifically, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're in management or you're an upload, technology is going to come in and completely, I think, change the way specifically U.S. onshore oil and gas is produced. And I think millennials are primed to be able to fill that role because, I mean, we grew up with, you know, learning, you know, you know, I mean, we grew up with the generation who didn't read directions, who just got the phone and plugged it in and started playing with it and weren't necessarily afraid to break it or, you know, do something where maybe you have to restart. So I think that is one of the biggest things that I'm seeing. I mean, 90% of the engagements that I make with, with people are, are, are data and technology. So, you know, I, I think, you know, from my side, that's what I see moving forward. And I think it's a prime opportunity specifically for millennials to come in and, and sort of fill that gap that's coming.
0: That's really interesting. The, the mental agility and flexibility for disruption and all the digital disruption that was underway pre-COVID and is certainly being accelerated. Um, and I want to, you, you're you welcome to add on to anything Michael said, but I also want to jump into one of the thornier topics, which is, um, are is the oil and gas industry, uh, workers in the industry that are millennials, do you think they face more opposition in their networks um, and and it, it, it's my hypothesis that that, that that is true, but is that your experience and, and what is that experience like for the oil and gas millennial workforce?
1: Yeah, and I will start with adding on to what Michael said a little bit just on the soft skills side of what millennials can bring um, to the industry right now. And um, to set the stage a little bit more from our research, you know, we have seen that statistics show that. The millennial generation is more diverse than past generations. They are more educated than past generations. They're also more financially vulnerable than past generations due to student loans, um, to skyrocketing housing prices, and entering the workforce uh, during um, a recession. Uh, so we're a little behind on, on certain things. And we've also had social media for most of our adult life when Michael talks about um, you know, technology. and so. I think that the diversity and the education and social media even has made us a more empathetic generation. Um, And I think that can be helpful in several ways. Um, You know, right now, the industry really needs to build bridges with the public, regardless of COVID-19. We're already under huge pressure to um, be greener, be more transparent. And I think um, our empathy, especially our cognitive empathy, that means understanding someone else's perspective Um, and being able to talk about it can really help us build those bridges, um, be better in our messaging and our path forward. And another is um, compassionate empathy, which means we feel what someone else feels and actually feel compelled to take action on it. And we have seen that immensely in the past two weeks with Black Lives Matter. Um, So I think that this is a great opportunity to take advantage of that empathy of millennials um, to make real change in industry within our companies, and on a broader scale. Um, I also think that the financial side of this that we've endured as millennials, uh, many of us, is um, that we're more adaptable. Um, A lot of our surveys, too, said that that millennials are more interested in training across the company, um, getting experience in different departments. I think that companies can really use that to their advantage um, when deciding how are they going to make these cuts and move people around to make their company work. And so I think um, our interest in workplace flexibility and work hour flexibility combined with um, wanting to learn new skills will just really help the industry right now. Um, As far as the opposition to our industry I think it's important to acknowledge there's you know um, disparity depending on where you are. I think there's disparity between fields and corporate certainly Um, but I think a big difference for the millennial industry Um, compared to other generations is, we're hearing it more from our friends than past generations have. And we know that because there's surveys that show um, that our generation cares about climate and protecting the environment more. Um, We discovered in our research that a Deloitte study from 2019 showed that of 20 societal challenges, um, climate change and protecting the environment was top of the list for millennials. And if you say, okay, all millennials are liberal right now, um, there's been plenty of studies that also say that uh, Republican millennials care about climate more than past generations, um, Republicans in past generations. And so I think the difference is, is that we're hearing it from our friends, which might make us listen a bit more um, to the opposition, to um, reasons that we need to move forward. And um, what's interesting is I heard in the, in the informal survey we did that millennials want to educate the public on what we do, the benefits. Um, And that's pretty normal across all generations. When you talk to, you know, all we need to do is educate and ensure. But what was different in this is millennials um, said that they want to talk about the huge technological advances that the industry has made and the commitments they're seeing from these big companies. So I think the difference here is they want to talk about what the industry wants to do moving forward in response to opposition rather than talking about, you know, we've been doing it great. You need us that's what we need to educate you on. Um, and I think that's really what uh, is going to make millennials, you know, our secret weapon in messaging.
0: There's so much there that I wanna um, pull out and talk more about. So I'm just warning you both that I've already digressed off of our question sheet and we're now into conversation territory. Um, and our audience is welcome to, to chime in as, as we go. Um, One of the things I learned from this research is uh, as a Generation X myself, who spends a lot of time with baby boomers in the oil and gas industry, I too had heard that millennials were a financially vulnerable generation. And my previous response was, well, it's not my fault they travel around the world and spend all their money on on takeout. But what I learned, and you you mentioned these, Ann, but I want to really highlight them, is that there are really big macro challenges. The cost of education is exponentially higher. Um, Housing prices are so far up compared to uh, real earning and spending dollars. And so this, and then coming out of college during the recession. Now we add today, we add this challenge where uh, a third of people laid off are millennials and we have a very high rate of unemployment right now, we're just adding one more layer. So I just wanted to add my two cents in that I learned. And for those of you who like to be a little uh, dismissive of some of these big trends, they really matter because it is our, our responsibility as an oil and gas industry, but it is also our privilege to figure out how to empower uh, this generation. And we'll keep coming back to that. But Michael, I wanted to give you a chance to chime in on, on the themes that Anne brought up.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with a lot of what Ann said, and I think there's two big th- pieces of data that kind of go along exactly with, with what you specifically mentioned, Tisha, along with with the housing. Not only are housing prices, if you want to purchase, out of control, but when you look at actually the the rent costs, and this was some of the interesting work that. Um, I was. At, we were able to pull up out of the US census data that you can find on this millennial report was it was about a third of millennials are considered what's called rent burdened or severely rent burdened, which basically means more than 30 to 50% of your income on a month-to-month basis goes directly towards rent utilities, which, you know, if, if being an economist, they always teach you 20%, 15%. That's about what you should be spending. Um, and so to consider that, that, that a majority of, of a lot of the millennials are having to spend it, whether it's on rent or, or a mortgage, I think that's a very, you know, interesting piece. And then along the education front, one of the things that, that we found in this millennial survey was a, there was a couple of comments that mentioned instead of, you know, one of the big old school ways to get paid was a stock option. And that, you know, as part of your sign-off, but they mentioned loan forgiveness programs where instead of giving me stock options in your company, what if you traded those in and gave me some loan forgiveness? And I thought that was really interesting because I honestly hadn't thought of that yet, but that's such a, I think, an interesting and cool idea that, I would love to see rolled out because I know there are too many people, specifically my friends right now who are still in the midst of their, you know, we're four or five years in the college right now and they're still, and they're just neck deep in it still. They're not even close to it. So I thought that was a really interesting tidbit to come out of that survey. Yeah, that's so interesting. So as an industry, we'll, we'll return
0: a little in a little bit to why this generation is so important and how we bridge with the public. Um, but, but before we do that, I, I want to, um, talk a little bit about how we recover from the pandemic Uh, we're all working remotely Um, we have a millennial workforce that I am advocating that oil and gas industry leaders need to stay in touch with hire back retain as quickly as possible because this is our most important and most populous um, generation until 2050 so this is a, a, a group that we really need to keep engaged in our industry what things are important to millennial employees right now? Michael, you made a great example of some really innovative ways that don't necessarily cost more for businesses. They're just a retooling to what matters, uh, helping with debt forgiveness. Um, and what are some other things that you have seen um, are important that, that don't necessarily hurt the bottom line of a company, but are a matter of rethinking how they're engaging with this generation? Sure. And, and I think it truly
1: comes down to an individualized approach for a millennial, which, of course, is all about me. Um, but, you know, we, we also saw in the research that, you know, millennials are marrying later, if at all. They're buying homes later. They're prioritizing travel. And they don't trust big business. And those tell me that they are very different than maybe leadership was at their age. So the assumptions that leadership have about their employees may be off. And that's where I think an individual apprised, uh, individualized approach can come in handy to leadership to really understand what their employees value. Um, but what we did see in the research is that is, is things you would expect, I think, and that's flexible work hours or working remote, um, which was at the top of the list a lot. Um, and we know now that that's possible Um, because of COVID-19 and maybe not for every job, but there's certainly some oil and gas companies we've already seen that said, we realize we don't need some people to go back to the office. And so maybe it's a matter of working with individual teams and employees to figure out um, if they need to be there, um, if they want to or not. And um, I think the the student loan support is such an interesting idea. I think other financial mechanisms that really match where um, employees are, are important. We saw that they prioritize travel and they do wanna spend the money they have on travel. So I think considering that's important. Um, We definitely heard a focus on diversity, um, seeing that they're having their company um, really value that, especially in the early years to develop leaders later. Um, We saw that employees are really interested in training um, on a holistic level. They wanna have more experience uh, throughout their company, throughout the industry. They feel like they're not prepared Um, for the future and what their company might need. Um, And so we heard maybe even more in soft skills, more in data, more in other departments within their company. Um, And then certainly we heard opportunities to provide input on actual company solutions. Um, And I think where that can be really useful is in sustainability. Um, In our survey, 70% of millennials wanted their company to publicly acknowledge climate change and have a sustainability strategy. And so when we dug deeper on that, we said, what do you want your company to do? And they said, consider environment over economics." Um, We heard flaring more than I expected. Um, And I think that's just a a case study of the um, environment over economics is, even though it might be economic to flare, does it make sense right now um, for the environment um, and overall picture? Um, They said they want companies to research and adopt new technologies on sustainability and um, lead the way on market solutions instead of following. Um, They want to keep oil and gas relevant while adapting to a lower carbon industry. And that was a huge theme that they want from leadership is um, stop being defensive and saying this is how it's always been. This is how we've always done it. You need us. Um, Instead, they've they've wanted to see
0: real public commitments to moving forward with the public rather than against it. This is so interesting in so many ways. Uh, One, because the entire working world just realized that remote work and flexible work is possible which has a lot of benefits for people in their prime family life as well as those who want to travel i love the idea of individualizing response which really comes down to individual manner managers being both empowered and educated on how to how to work with mentor employees i love those ideas Um, i want to keep working with this idea of millennials working in the oil and gas industry who want to see their companies prioritize ESG and sustainability, because I did not necessarily expect this when we started. I I really thought we were going to be talking about these ideas about flexibility um, and empowerment and leadership. But what I'm so um, enjoying about what I'm learning right now is that the public, which wants to see, a decarbonized energy future and energy companies leading toward that. And now employees in the industry want to do that as well. Um, what thoughts do you guys have about how that can work within a company? Do you have any um, insights or thoughts about where in a company's structure do millennials belong to be talking about and working on these things?
2: Um, I'll, I'll tackle know? that at first. I mean, it's interesting because I think, you know, I think the oil and gas business, specifically if you get hired right out of college, I think a lot of them, you get put through what's called like a rotation program. So I think a lot of these companies do think that they have diversity among skill sets because you go through your, you know, if you're an engineering major specifically, you go through production, drilling, completions, and you you do get sort of a rounded look. But I think specifically what this report was talking about was, and, and what Ann mentioned specifically was uh, engagement and You know, ownership of other parts of the industry, whether it's some of the finance parts, maybe some of the technology portions, and even some exposure, as you mentioned just right now, to the C-suite. And I think it's important to keep in mind, you know, your your biggest, you know, I, I think... You know, me being a consultant, one of the biggest things I think about, well, it doesn't care what I want. What does my customer or my client want? And I think sometimes if, you know, if millennials are the biggest workforce right now, if, if you're on a management team, it makes sense to be asking, well, what does my, what does my workforce maybe want a little bit more? And specifically along this EHG stuff, just, just. be heard a little bit and i honestly this it surprised me too i and you know from what i hear from the people in my, you don't hear this as much and and that tells me one thing one i think there's a silent i think a lot of people are silently agreeing with the esg movement which is which is interesting because i don't think you hear it as publicly but when you do these surveys that are maybe a little more anonymous it comes out in much more resounding so i just found that really interesting the dichotomy between what you know if you were just a take a broad view of what we think is the millennials care about versus when you actually get them in a survey, what they actually care about.
0: And do you want to chime in? Yeah, I
1: think as getting millennials involved in the company, in the, in the ESG space, I think there are several ways to do it, um, including committees and work groups Tisha, I know you um, discovered the shadow board idea. So, you know, having um, more representation in, in high level decisions might help um, you come out with a more well rounded solution. And um, I think millennials will be able to provide a great perspective to those decisions as well as a time frame. Um, and so, I think not only including them in work groups, committees, um, shadow boards, but I think also um, coming up with new communication channels for that input. Um, if you already do employee-wide surveys, um, can you ensure they're anonymous? Can you channel them to come up with real solutions? Um, are there a way to vet your strategies um, using millennials um, as well as minorities? I think that's just as important. Um, and I think what companies or what a lot of the respondents said too is, um, is there a way that you can establish or change your values to a way that? Um, prioritizing in the environment is included in every decision, in every process, um, in every policy, um, so that, you know, you're tying the company's performance to leadership or to the environment.
0: Um, I think that could go a long way, and we definitely heard it a lot. It's so interesting because what you two are raising is, is completely novel thought to me in this moment, um, so we'll alert when I'm brainstorming live, um, but the idea that company culture which in many cases, and we talk about this at Adam and team, companies are allergic to talking about climate, they're allergic to talking about decarbonization, but, but we do advocate that it's mission critical to become fluent and comfortable in these topics. But what I'm even hearing is that we might create millennial silos where we're doing the same thing within the industry, But once we open up the space for conversation, we're finding that there is, and this is quite uncomfortable, that there are a lot of people who are feeling angst about working in the industry, about their company's commitment to climate and the environment. So that's um, such a, just even another uh, driver for us to really think about company leadership, company culture, and creating places to gather input and dialogues. And, and you want to build off of anything from that? Yeah, I just thought of, a, of something I was thinking about a couple weeks ago, and, and Tisha,
1: you and I have run into this um, consulting to upstream companies, is often uh, departments are incentivized to, you know, if you go under budget on a project, you know, that's, that's, that's how you meet your goals, right, um, for leadership, and that might be how you're judged by your supervisors. Um, instead, is there a place to put People in a room and say, what would be really cool to do? And then how do we implement it? Um, I think some maybe changing some of these um, uh, ways we structure incentivizing employees could really um, push us to get creativity out of millennials and give them a space to actually talk about real solutions.
2: And I I think the interesting part is because I think there's really two sets of, you know, there's pre-coronavirus, and then now we've sort of gone through this really rapid change in the industry. No one's really spending money. There's a lot of millennials are sort of the most effective works for that. But I think one of the things that, post-virus that you brought up, Tisha, that I think is really important is non-cash incentives to keep millennials around. And I think a lot of that is representative in the survey between just acknowledging that ESG is a thing, setting up community. I mean, that doesn't cost your company a dime to do. And it gives the millennials the sense of empowerment that I think a lot of us do feel. Because I think another thing that millennials ask a lot is why instead of you know they, 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 you get they get Delta the task and ask, well why do you want me to do that where and maybe someone in, in the older generation they were a little more just oh, just do it and then we'll ask sort of questions so I think the dichotomy between our ability to ask why a lot and specifically you know trying to figure out ways to engage that don't hurt the bottom line or super can I think there's a lot of different ways I think if, if you're listening to this and you and, and you have a chance to look at the survey I think that's the cool part about what this survey showed is I don't think it costs anything to actually continue to engage these millennials.
0: So, so great, and I love the question "Why?" because it comes back to one of the themes that I've learned through our research, which is that um, purpose matters. Companies' purpose, um, an authentic role in improving the the world, and um, and asking the question "Why?" is essentially saying, "Tell me why my work matters. Tell me why this is important. Tell me why I can tr- contribute." Um, I want to read a comment from a very, I I always take questions anonymously, but um, I want to say that this is a very evolved leader in our industry uh, who I have a lot of admiration and respect for. Uh, And she says that what's important is equal development for all, not just the drinking and golfing buddies. And so this comes back to the idea of culture and and a um, stereotype of our industry, which unfortunately there's a lot of truth to. Um, And she goes on. Millennials will not put up with the injustices they see and develop. I'm sorry. They, millennials will not put up with the injustices they see and non-transparent development and hiring practices. I found there are few chances for a company on this. So this speaks to a sense of justice, a sense of purpose, and a, a uh, an expectation of transparency, but also an impatience in the sense of like, you don't get a, tons, a, a ton of chances at this. And it's one of the reasons I have urgency in this moment that we really uh, communicate to our millennial workforce how important they are to us and how much we want them to help us create the future. Um, and you have any, any thoughts on that comment? Yeah, I do. I think, and, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning,
1: with us growing up with social media, we have a lot more awareness of what's happening to our colleagues, what's happening in other companies, big trends in workplace um, and injustices. Um, I mean, I, I, I think everyone does now, but I think millennials being on Instagram so much really plays into that. And I think because of that, they know maybe what they deserve. And um, and maybe when things aren't right, you know, I'll say the industry has changed. Um, I'm 30 now. I started in the industry when I was 22, and although I've changed from Ohio to Colorado, there's still been a lot of progress, I think, in the culture in the oil and gas industry. But we still have so far to go, and I think um, we saw mm-hmm. that in a lot of the written in responses on the survey was a lot of of. Um, of we can't be the industry we've always been, Um, and it's not going to fly, and it's going to turn people off. And, you know, when we looked at, um, like, would you stay in the industry if you um, uh, could, or or would you prefer to leave? And 50% said they would stay if the industry continues to operate. Um, which is, you know, only half of the industry wants to stay of millennial oil and gas workers. And then you look at it and 32% say they're okay, but they're considering leaving. Um, And so, and then I think 11% said um, that they would like to go to a more stable industry. So I think when we're talking about the injustices, when we're talking about not quite moving with the public trends and inclusivity and social issues, family leave policy, I think when we're not moving with the greater public, we are risking losing the millennial generation.
0: Anything you want to add to that thought, Michael?
2: Um, No, I think it's, you know, it's, I, you know, every industry has been, I think a relationship business. And I think that's, you know, part of the, so I think it's, it, you know, the oil industry has not been immune to that, but I do think there is this, I think just this old way of doing things. I mean, if you wanted to become an ex, you know, the, the way I think you know, a lot of people think of how you become an executive is you is you work for you know five to ten years at a big operator, you go back to school and get your MBA, you downgrade in a company to get a, a better title, and then you just consider to sort of work your way up. And I think, you know, for millennials, I think they're slightly annoyed with that path. I think they want a little not necessarily a direct path, but there has to be other ways to be able to move up and gain other experience around that. So I think just, you know, the the, the ways that millennial, I think the old the, the ways that things have been done, I think moving forward specifically now that we're sort of all sort of reevaluating the way we do business because of this coronavirus, I think it's an opportune way to, to to think about even how we promote people or how we choose who maybe moves up and down based upon factors you know that may be different than than just how big, how long you how big your education is, how long have you been here, and and maybe just a, you know what was your old title maybe it might have been.
0: It's interesting you bring that up, Michael, because the um, one comment that really stood out to me that I wanted to reflect upon more in our work at Adam and Teen was this idea that companies do things the way they've always been done. And part of that is advancing people based on time. And that the rest of the business world for the last 15 years has been advancing people based on merit and contribution and flexibility and creativity. And so that is something that I hadn't thought about being a little bit old school myself in that way. And so I think that's actually a great, uh, non, again, non-economic mm-hmm. thing for leaders in the oil and gas industry to think about, which is, do we have an environment where people can be innovative, creative, and advance outside of, of a, a, straight, a straight line? Anne? I think
1: it's interesting too and I haven't thought a ton about this because I was when we saw that in the survey response I was like whoa you know they they compared it they basically said should we consider advancing people based on their talent over their experience and they made and they said that's what tech firms do and that's why you see such young leadership at tech firms um and I don't quite know how I feel about this yet because I you know someone just out of college if they took my job I don't know how I'd feel um right but it, I think specifically in the oil and gas industry we're at such a crucial time with potential you know green stimulus with public pressure with um how oil and gas is being financed now and invested in i think we're at a crucial time where if we don't move forward with the public be very progressive seek this decarbonized future there isn't going to be an industry to look forward to and if we're keeping the same experienced people in these roles that have not been innovating I don't think we'll get there.
0: So really great point. And I want to bring in another question from the audience, another evolved uh, leader uh, in the space who asks a really important question that I know you both are sensitive to, which is, there was the millennial feedback about um, not just economics over uh, when you make environmental decisions. But at this moment, we know companies are super financially stressed. so. Uh, what is uh, the way, if you can talk a little bit more about how companies can be environmental leaders, climate stewards at this moment, how, do, how should leaders be thinking about that when really economic pressure is just driving, driving the day? Go ahead, uh, You know, I think
1: part of it is weighing and I totally get this and I understand, you know, all of our companies have been hit by this. Um, But I think understanding that there's not a one one size fits all to environmental progress is important. Um, You know, smaller companies, even just talking to their investors about ESG is a huge step forward. Um, Putting out a community report about what your community cares about is really important. It's a big step. Um, You know, but I think thinking that we can keep flaring for, years to come is just not realistic and is not we're not going to survive that way. I think you know we've been researching it so I won't say much on it yet because we don't have um, quite enough for me to be an expert on it but we're also seeing that you know um, ESG is outperforming non-ESG right Um, in the stock market and so I think we really have to take a hard look right now and understand what are the small levers that we can right now? Are there plans we can make for when the money is flowing? And can we be transparent about those? Um, because I, I think if we ignore what's coming, you know, three years
0: from now, we're going to be in a worse financial situation. Yeah, I would uh-huh. add, add to that. Um, and, and then Michael, I'll give you a chance to chime in too. But the uh, right now, having companies be willing to talk internally about climate decarbonization all the disruption underway what the energy future looks like how do we create it these conversations don't cost anything but they signal a kind of care and leadership that our industry really needs um, and, and and this will be the last um, topic that we'll cover today but what we haven't really gotten to is, is something that Adam and has been looking at for a long time, which is how the public opinion has really hit a tipping point that prioritizes climate and ESG. And then you have millennials, which are the dominant generation and peer population numbers, but also political, uh, civic, and economic relevance. So we have this huge public that cares about climate. We have a millennial workforce that overwhelmingly cares about environment and climate. How How can we... Um Empower or best engage our workforce to feel um, proud and be ambassadors for the industry um, do you, Michael, do you also you can comment on anything i've talked about so far.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, I think the analogy that it plays well here is, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, you just start by taking one bite and then you take another. And eventually after five years, you've eaten the whole thing. And someone, well, how would you eat the elephant? Well, I just started and I took a small chunk here and there. And um, I think that's the biggest thing going back to the ESG stuff, not necessarily my area of expertise. But when you attack any sort of huge radical change, whether it's becoming more technology focused or ESG focused as a company, just starting. And I think you can start with these, you know panels, these, these things that don't necessarily cost as much, so that when maybe the capital expenditures do come back, you have a little bit more money to spend. You've already, you know what you're going to spend those dollars on. You've done the the research per se to spend them maybe a little more wisely as everywhere you're looking for. In terms of of to you know, along with your question, I think the biggest thing is is you know, I think this, this work from home stuff is critical for the millennial workforce. I think they really like it. And I, I I've heard it being called a distributed workforce. So I kind of like that phrase better versus work from home because I think that technically gets a bad rap. So I even think, you know, and I think allowing industry, you know, people within the industry, specifically in the engineering departments to get a feel for what it is outside of engineering, because I think it can become a really silo uh, business specifically because yes, oil and gas production is the main way these companies create revenue, but there are so many other departments that if you do want to become and have some sort of experience and maybe move up and become a, a manager that you have to have that experience on the other side. So just, you know, really trying to focus on, okay, we, they, they might have the engineering experience, but do they have the, you know, the investor relations Experience. Do they know the finance stuff? Do they have any of the data stuff? Do they know, you know, all that stuff. So I think just, just diversifying specifically the knowledge set of, of what your employees do, I think is the best way to empower them because training is, is was what was mentioned in this report. I think is huge. And, and it I think as we move forward in a place where education, specifically traditional education might be completely adjusted. I mean, who knows if I mean, we might be Zoom conference colleges from now on. So I think, you know, specifically getting pertinent job skills training is, is highly important. I think millennials are all about that.
0: Yeah.
1: So I just came up with this idea of, so of course, hasn't gone by Tisha yet, but I think you're going to like it is um, so when, when we're, I help companies um, draft and develop their ESG reports um, or sustainability reports. And as part of that, we have to bring in pretty much every department or representation from there to build the ESG reports. So what if you had, you know, millennials on a broader scale within your company contributing to your decarbonization toolbox that can be in a bunch of ways that could be, you know, soliciting feedback through surveys that could be creating work groups that could be the decarbonization toolbox work group that now someone's gonna start and we're gonna hear back on. But having big uh, or significant millennial representation in there, not only contributes to the company moving with the public at this tipping point, but empowers millennials at the same time. I think um, that could be really helpful. And now I really want to be in one.
0: Yes, okay, so let's make sure that gets in our report, which was finished, but now has to be re-edited. I love that idea. Um, and the mo- we know polling show- has shown year over year that the most uh, impactful person to influence someone outside of the industry about the oil and gas industry is someone they know who works in oil and gas. So we need to make sure that our oil and gas millennial workforce, even if they're laid off right now, is feeling cared for and empowered and passionate about the work that we have. Um, going forward. So um, le- let me do my lightning round for you guys. And um, the first uh, question for you is We are all still working from home and will be for the foreseeable future. Do you have any quirky isolation management? Uh, uh, tricks that you've come up with that you want to share and you go first. Sure. So this has taken a while but I have realized actually
1: working out in the middle of the day um, I think helps because it just refreshes you because honestly, the Zoom fatigue is insane right now. I am it's losing real. it a bit on webinars and Zoom meetings and constantly um, being, you know, there and, and you often have so many next to each other. So if it's possible to get a workout in the middle of the day, it completely refreshes me and gets me back into a work zone. And I'm, I don't know that it's possible to keep that going post quarantine, but
0: we'll see. I totally agree.
2: That's a great one. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I I've actually been been working from home for 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 about two years now, so that's why I sort of like the distributed workforce because it just makes <laughs> it sound a little better. But one of the big things that I do is, is if 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 you've you know as you know now, or if you've worked from home for longer, you know, we live by email and Zoom. And what I like to do is is I try to either work set some time really early, not really early, but early in the morning before the workday starts or late at night to just try to do some internal personal work without unencumbered by an email coming in or someone calling me. I've gotten two calls right now on my phone as I've been sitting on this webinar. And so you can see, even if your calendar is open, you can, it can get filled very quickly. So just you know, first off, blocking off time to do internal work on your calendar was bigger and also trying to see if you can get some unencumbered work in whether, you know, like before seven, I like to try to get like a six to seven work in because I just know I'm probably not gonna get that many emails because there's nothing worse than you're working on something and all of a sudden three more things line up in your inbox to worry about. So that's yeah. one thing that I've, I've worked and more in the whole work from home, but specifically moving forward.
0: That's funny, I've tried to um not have appointments before 9 a.m. because after 9 a.m. there won't be any actual work time. So that's uh, interesting. So try to have a really serious before nine work time. Um, Do either of you have any go-to books or other resources right now that you wanna recommend, Anne? Yeah, so my book club just
1: started reading um, White Fragility, which is very timely. Um, and what's interesting about that one is um, why it's so uncomfortable for white people to talk about their whiteness and race, and I think that is a great first step for anyone that's starting on this journey, um, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, Um, so I'm reading that, and then I'm also reading my boss Tisha gave me Becoming Supernatural, all about manifesting, um, where you want to be and who you want to be, and it's been really interesting so far, I'll say. Awesome,
0: thank Um,
2: you. What about you, Michael? That's awesome. I, I'm kind of just a big nerd, so if either I'm either listening to a podcast or this this book I'm reading is actually it's called Oil Capital. It's basically sort of the history of oil and gas finance, starting from like the 1920s up until like the early 2010s. So it's a little more nerdy, I guess, but um, it, it it relaxes me.
0: Oh, you like you really like live this industry. I I, I admire that. I just I read it. I just read trashy fiction for the most part. <laughs> Okay, last question for you. What part of isolation do you want to carry forward? Michael, I'll let you go first.
2: Oh, you know, in some small way, I do feel more connected than ever to the people I've worked with because we're all now on this work from home status. I think when, you know, kind of when I was in the minority of, I was one of the few people working home, you sometimes did feel a little distant. Um, but, you know, one of the comments that, that somebody made for me that I worked with was, you know, he's never felt more closer than his co-workers than he has now. And so I don't know what that means going forward, but that's something really cool to hear. And if there's a way to keep that sort of, you know, person to person engagement, um, I think is, is, is really cool.
1: Yeah. Um, so you said at the beginning that they think all millennials spend their money on traveling the world and takeout. that was me. Um, and so <laughs> if this whole situation has made me one appreciate that I can cook and I should, um, <laughs> and my partner's very much enjoying that too. Um, and that I should enjoy where I live more. That's certainly been, um, usually I'm gone every weekend. And I really got to know Denver, I've done a lot of urban hiking and um, experienced a a lot more. So I think appreciating where I live and appreciating cooking at home.
0: Good for you. I I admire that as well. Um, Well, I wanna thank you both and I wanna thank our audience. This has been such a great conversation. And um, one of our audience members pointed out that this conversation about how industry leaders can and should engage the millennial workforce with authenticity, transparency, flexibility. This is really the difference between being a manager and being an industry leader. And uh, I would also argue that it is required for our success going forward. That's our episode for today. Thanks so much to Ann Carto and Michael Tanner for taking the time to share their insights with us. We want to know what you think about what you've heard here today. Please visit our podcast website at energythinks.com podcast and let us know. You can subscribe to Energy Thinks on iTunes and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a hand by rating this podcast. Thanks for listening to Energy Thinks. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler. wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.